All right, everybody, we've made it. It's Friday, April 28th, 2023. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Osh Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. And uh, we're looking forward to sending everyone into the weekend, Jill. That's right. Good vibes only. So corny. I, 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 <laughs> ignore that. Everybody who's listening, ignore that I said that. Um, a lot of news to get to. And I know I started by saying good vibes only, but uh, when it comes to the economy, the worst of both worlds, that is how some economists are describing the current state of our economy. We'll explain as recession watch continues. I feel like the economists are being a little too negative, Jill. <laughs> they're always predicting recession, but we'll tell you what they're right, saying. We've been on recession watch uh, for well over a year at this point. Meanwhile, Title 42 expires in a couple of weeks, and the Biden administration has rolled out a plan to help slow down what's expected to be a surge of migrants coming through the U.S.-Mexico border. We'll walk through their plan. Former VP Mike Pence spent seven hours testifying before a grand jury investigating his former boss's role in January 6th. Iran has seized an oil tanker bound for Houston. We'll have an update from the trial where a woman is accusing former President Trump of rape. The Big Melt has arrived in California. Controversial talk show host Jerry Springer has passed away. We're going to look back on his career. Jerry, Jerry, (laughs) Jerry. And Moshe has on this day in history. Jill, some interesting history of Aretha Franklin's hit, Respect, and the backstory of that song. And it is Friday, what we are watching, reading, and eating this weekend. Jill, I understand you just came off of trying to make a challah. <laughs> I did, and it was one of the more stressful things I've done in a long time. Um, so, yeah, that is why I am currently sweating at the moment. It sounds like it might not be something you're eating this weekend, <laughs> depending on how it came out. Now to our top story, the economy and what some analysts are now calling the worst of both worlds. Mosh, that's never good. No, I can only take one bad world. I can't have two bad worlds, Jill. Okay, so why the negativity, people? Some new numbers came out Thursday that show that the GDP, or the gross domestic product, which tracks how much the U.S. economy grew, rose just 1.1% in the first quarter. That is less than expected, and it is a slowdown from the previous quarter. At the same time, new data shows that inflation remains a big problem. What's called personal consumption expenditures, that's another index that tracks how much consumers have to spend on things. Well, that increased 4.2%, and that's also higher than expected. So we've now got this double whammy, a slowing economy, and yet inflation, or the price that we pay for everything from gas to food to housing, still quite elevated. One economist telling Bloomberg that Thursday morning's data was the worst of both worlds, with growth slowing down and inflation going up. And that puts the Fed in a difficult spot yet again, because you would expect that with the economy slowing down, that eventually prices would come down, but they are still stubbornly high. Yeah, that's actually the goal here of the Fed. One of their goals with increasing interest rates is to slow down the economy. So not surprised the economy is slowing down and slowing down more than they thought. But at the same time, the idea is slow the economy down, start to bring prices down. And right now, inflation remains stubborn. It's not at the peak of last year, but still, they would like it to be around 2 to 3%. It remains higher than that. At the same time, Jill, we do have some good news for everybody. The job picture still remains pretty good based on the latest numbers. Unemployment numbers out Thursday were lower than expected, which means despite the headlines that we're seeing about mass layoffs at some high-profile tech companies, 
media companies. Uh, in general, the job market remains in pretty good shape. So the economy is slowing down. Inflation's still high. Jobs are good. This is not exactly out of a textbook here for economics. We're still dealing with the ramifications of the COVID shutdown. So things are still a bit out of whack here, which puts the Federal Reserve in a difficult position again. Economists are expecting that they will raise interest rates yet again another quarter percent at their next meeting. And that comes despite another thing that we're watching, which is the whole banking crisis, as reported yesterday. First Republic Bank is the latest bank struggling to hang on right now. And most dare I mention, recession. Technically, two quarters of negative growth means that we are in a recession. We're not there. The economy still grew in the last quarter. But recession is still looming. As the Associated Press put it, the government's report Thursday that the economy grew at a 1.1% annual rate last quarter signal the most paid recession in recent U.S. history has yet to arrive. Many economists, though, still expect a recession to hit as soon as uh, the current April to June quarter or soon thereafter. Yeah, they are noticing that people are spending less when people are spending less, given that we have a very consumer-focused economy here in the U.S. that typically portends uh, a slowdown. And so we're going to continue to monitor things. You know, one of the things going into 2023 that we knew was it wasn't a matter of if but when we have a recession. Now, how significant that recession is... uh, is still up in the air. People hope it's a pretty light recession. If we uh, don't grow the economy in multiple quarters, one of the other factors in all of this, and this is something we discussed on yesterday's podcast, is the debt ceiling crisis. At some point this summer, we could be hitting the debt ceiling. And if there's no deal between House Republicans and Democrats in the Senate, as well as President Biden, that could send shockwaves to the economy. So that's something you can imagine the president Democrats will be stressing to Republicans saying, can you just increase the debt ceiling here so we can pay our debt? Because we don't want to add another negative factor to this whole economic <laughs> soup that we're cooking right now. And what kind of soup is that, Mosh? I don't know, Jill. It, typically, soup is pretty consistent. You put your uh, spoon in the bowl and it tastes pretty similarly each time. Based on this economic mix, though, it feels like if you put your spoon in once, it tastes really great. If you put your spoon in on the other side, it doesn't taste very good. I don't know. Are you guys buying this metaphor? <laughs> I feel like it works so far, right? One side, you're getting egg drop soup. Uh, the other side is minestrone. You're right. It needs to be even throughout. That's so wild. I had minestrone in my mind <laughs> and you went with minestrone. I feel like we're on a good... Wait, yes, this is a good preview of the rest of the podcast, folks. All right, Mosh, now on to immigration. The Biden administration is prepping for what's expected to be a surge of migrants when the longtime policy called Title 42 ends in May. So Title 42 was this pandemic era policy. It's set to expire on May 11th as the national COVID-19 health emergency ends. Title 42 basically let officials quickly expel migrants without processing asylum claims because of pandemic health risks. It was instituted by President Trump March of 2020, and then it was renewed several times by Biden. But now COVID's officially over. Uh, So this has been used to expel 2.7 million asylum seekers. But as I mentioned, it's set to expire. And so now the Biden administration is trying to come up with a plan. Uh, They said they're going to set up migrant processing centers in Latin America, increase deportations, and also expand legal migration pathways. Those processing centers are going to be physical locations, and that's where migrants can be screened, and then officials will determine whether or not they qualify to enter the United States legally. There are many legal avenues to enter the country, like traditional refugee resettlement, 
There's temporary work visas, family visa programs. The centers for now are going to be located throughout Latin America, starting with Guatemala and Colombia. And the the goal here is just to reduce the number of people who are illegally crossing into the United States through our border with Mexico. We've been seeing a surge here for a couple of years now uh, when it comes to record numbers across the border. It has dissipated in the past couple of months, but this was their big fear that when Title 42 goes, that we'll see an even bigger fear because typically word spreads through WhatsApp groups, Telegram groups uh, among these migrants that the border is open again, that you're going to get through again. And that's something that the Biden administration is particularly concerned about both on a policy level, but more on a political level, right? You're going to an election next year. Immigration has been a very hot issue and it's something that they've taken a lot of heat from, from Republicans. And typically you also see a surge in the spring. So U.S. officials are telling CBS News right now, they're especially seeing an increase down in Texas's Rio Grande Valley. On Tuesday alone, Border Patrol apprehended 7,500 migrants. That is a 40% increase from March's daily average. So they're already seeing the surge Right now, they have internal projections that apparently migrant arrivals on the southern border could hit between 10 and 13,000 a day starting next month. So as I mentioned, this is a huge political liability for the president. And what's interesting here in the past couple of months is the Biden administration has been taking making moves that they've been getting more criticism from the left from. Progressives have been very upset with the crackdown of sorts that Biden has been doing. So they've been getting more grief from their left flank. Some progressives actually comparing Joe Biden and his policies to Donald Trump. So the U.S. intends to keep deporting Cubans, Haitians, Nicaraguans, Venezuelans to Mexico if they cross the southern border unlawfully. Those deportations would be carried out under immigration law instead of Title 42 and lead deportees to be banned for five years. If they attempt to cross the border after being deported, they could then face criminal prosecution. Among the other things the White House has done here is they've been working to finalize a rule that would also disqualify migrants from asylum if they enter the country illegally after failing to seek humanitarian protection in the third country. Keep in mind, many of these people not coming from Mexico, they're not Mexicans coming to the U.S., they're from another country. Again, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, Cuba, Venezuela, Haiti, etc., And so the new U.S. rules would indicate that they need to seek asylum in another country before they get to the U.S. One of those countries is Mexico. And so this has been something, again, Biden has been criticized from the left on. And the right is actually saying, "Okay, let's see more of this. Yeah, we have been talking about Title 42 for a really long time. And now we're less than two weeks from when it's going to expire. Um, And Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas still won't call immigration at the southern border a crisis. And and I think that's a a very conscious decision as we head into an election season. Yeah, one of the things they like to point to is that they want to blame some of this on the Trump administration. Of course, President Biden has now been in for more than two years. So Republicans would like to say that is it's this is now on his watch. Probably part of the reason they're reluctant to call it a crisis right now because they would own it. All right, before we get to our sponsors this week, Jill, I want to thank everyone this week who's been joining Mo News Premium. We continue to see new subscribers every day. And so we're so grateful to all of you who are helping us uh, fix the news. The news is broken, and we're trying our best here at Mo News to take a new approach. You can head over to mo.news slash premium right now to become a subscriber. There is both a monthly rate, an annual rate, and a, a lifetime rate if you would like. It's an opportunity to get even more content, access to a subscriber premium feed, uh, as well as uh, an extra 
private Instagram account where we're doing more content, more deep dives behind the scenes. Jill, I'm still waiting on your behind the scenes videos. <laughs> I promise I'll do them next week. Where's the hollow video? It sounds like <laughs> you in the kitchen would have been some, some good it, Instagram. It was total fondant. mayhem. There are videos that exist. Um, so I will see. <laughs> Maybe I'll post one. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you came out of it. And uh, we're recording this podcast now. <laughs> uh, keep in mind, Monu's premium right now is $7 a month or $70 a year where you will get two months free added benefit. If you're listening to this podcast this week alone, you can use the code MoNewsPod. Mo News POD and get an extra month free on your subscription. Moshe, I do want to talk quickly about that phrase that we keep saying that the news is broken, help us fix it. And I think it just speaks to what we're trying to do here at Mo News. We don't really mean the news is broken, although it kind of is. The fact that polls show most Americans don't trust the vast majority of news outlets tells you that there is a serious problem. Um, and I think what we're trying to do is just tell it to people straight. And everyone can make up their minds on on how they feel about things. But you need information. You need real information that you could trust. Yeah, one of the things we don't want to do is freak you out. That's something that we hate about the news right now. Another thing we don't want to do is tell you how to feel about something. And another thing we don't want to do is approach just things from one angle and slanted and partisan. So we're really serious about nonpartisan, calm, context, history. And that's part of what we're doing here. And so by joining Monu's Premium, you help us sustain what we're doing right now on this podcast on Instagram and help us grow and add reporters and really build this in an operation that takes a, a different approach to news coverage. Now let's get to the sponsors this week, starting with Magic Spoon Cereal. We often talk about nostalgia on this podcast. One thing many of us look back on fondly is the cereals that we ate back in the day. And Magic Spoon Cereal has joined us as a partner and has replicated some of those flavors in a more wholesome way. They're offering right now a variety pack that includes peanut butter, frosty, cocoa, and fruity flavors that allow you to taste that nostalgia, but in a low-carb way. The great thing right now with Magic Spoon Cereal is they're gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and sugar-free, and they have a special deal right now for the Mo News community. You can head over to magicspoon.com slash monews to grab a variety pack and try today. The promo code again is monews, and at checkout, it'll save you $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it is backed with what they call a 100% happiness guarantee. So if for any reason you don't like it, they will refund your money, no questions asked. Again, you can get your next delicious bowl of high-protein cereal over at magicspoon.com slash monews using the code monews to get $5 off. And just coming off of Earth Day, it is more important than ever for us to make thoughtful changes that make a big impact when it comes to caring for the Earth. And it can start with small things, including what type of sandwich or trash bags you use. So we're very happy to be partnering with Hold On. That's Hold On One Word. It's a company that's all about finding a better way to go about our daily chores. Trash bags and kitchen bags are necessary staples, but it turns out they don't need to be 100% plastic which in most cases cannot be recycled. Hold on, trash and kitchen bags are heavy-duty, plant-based, non-toxic, and 100% home compostable. We have been using them in our kitchen, and it feels good to be part of the movement away from single-use plastics. They break down in weeks not centuries. They're offering a special deal now to the Mo News audience. To shop plant-based bags and replace single-use plastics all over your home, you can visit holdonbags.com slash monews 
or enter Mo News at checkout to save 20% off your order. Sustainability has never been more simple. So that's H-O-L-D-O-N-Bags.com slash Mo News or enter Mo News, M-O-N-E-W-S to receive 20% off your order. Okay, time now for the speed read. Let's start with what's being dubbed the big melt. From USA Today, the colossal amount of snow in California's mountains from a winter of ferocious storms has started to melt and an incoming heat wave is reigniting flooding concerns across the state. One scientist from UCLA tweeting, the big melt is now officially arriving. Flows on many rivers draining the central and southern Sierra will double or triple. As temperatures rise, some rivers will exceed flood stage. A huge snowpack from the record-smashing snowfalls could be a blessing for a region that's been plagued by drought, but experts have been warning that it is also a potential disaster if it melts all at once. The state's vast wilderness, including Yosemite and some critical agricultural communities, are at particular risk for flooding. Forecasters are less concerned about the state's coastal cities. With highs expected well above 90 degrees, near record maximum temps are expected in the San Joaquin Valley on Saturday. And it's also going to be unusually warm in the mountains as well. Yeah, there's already water on some roadways and meadows are beginning to fill up. I mean, with this crazy excessive snow, this is the big concern. And California doesn't have the infrastructure to uh, cleanly take a record snowfall. I mean, even in a, a good year, they see flooding. Keep in mind, California is huge when it comes to agriculture. It is the uh, top source for a number of fruits and vegetables that you see at the grocery store. Some people don't think about that when it comes to California, because we know it for LA, Hollywood, San Francisco, but it is the source of so much in this country. Yosemite National Park, you mentioned it, Chill, is closed right now through midweek next week because of some of the river overflow. The concern is this hot weather coming after this record snowfall is really just going to cause a major, major melt there. And while shifting wet in dry years have been the norm for California since the beginning of time, really, several things have changed, including the amount of agriculture in the state. uh, Towns have grown. And so this back and forth between dry and flood is leading to more issues. And if you don't live in California, the reason that all this matters, as you mentioned, is because of all the agriculture. And we've already been talking that inflation is is really high. So this just means that the, the price for everything from avocados to almonds to all of the things that they grow in. Strawberries, lettuce, uh, I mean, almost everything, peaches. You know, people think like they call Georgia the peach state. Our number one source of peaches in this country is California. So unfortunately, it may mean higher prices in the grocery store in the coming months. From NBC News on Thursday, writer E. Jean Carroll, who alleges in a lawsuit that Donald Trump raped her in the 1990s, was questioned by Trump's attorney. Joe Tacopina repeatedly suggested that her claim was made up. He said to her, you were supposedly raped. She responded, I was raped. Carroll maintains that the attack happened while shopping with Trump at Bergdorf Goodman's back in 1995 or 1996. She said that it happened in the dressing room. She first went public with her claim more than 20 years later in 2019. Then President Trump derided it as a hoax she made up to promote sales of a book where she had made that allegation. Carol acknowledged to the attorney that she is a longtime Democrat. And then when she first heard Trump was running for president, she said, I was in disbelief. I felt really bad. He did ask her about a passage on the attack in an earlier draft of the book where she wrote that she was going public because she didn't like 
Trump's policies as president. Carol, who's a former advice columnist, acknowledged that she thought disclosing the attack in her book, it's called What Do We Need Men For? A Modest Proposal. She said that she did think it would help sales, but said that she was wrong. In her lawsuit and on the witness stand, Carol said she'd been inspired to come forward by a New York Times story on sexual misconduct allegations against movie producer Harvey Weinstein, which was pretty much the beginning of the Me Too movement. She told Tokopina that that was indeed the inspiration and that she believed coming forward when she did could help combat the culture of sexual violence in the country. She said that it caused me to realize staying silent does not work. So this is the civil trial right now happening in New York. It's expected that it could go a bit into next week. Uh, Takapina, who's Trump's attorney, you may have seen him on TV, uh, did a lot of the questioning today, asking Carol questions about also why she didn't scream during this three-minute alleged attack inside a department store dressing room. Carol responded, I'm not a screamer. I was too much in panic to scream. She went on to say, women who don't come forward, one of the reasons they don't come forward is because they're asked why they didn't scream. Some women scream, some women don't. It keeps women silent. Now, Jill, you mentioned that the attack either happened in 95 or 96. Uh, that's one of the issues Takapina and the Trump team uh, are stating here, saying, how does she not know the exact date of this? Just a, a general time frame. And then, of course, she waited more than 20 years here. But she says that she shared the attack with friends at the time, and they told her not to go public because Trump was too rich and too powerful. Another notable exchange, Jill, that came out here, Takapina also questioned Carol about a 2017 email they got a hold of between her and her friend, in which the friend wrote, as soon as we're both well enough to scheme, we must do our patriotic duty again. Carol responded to that email by saying, totally, I have something special for you when we meet. When Carol testified, she was asked about it. She said she can't recall what that email meant. Takapina then went into it saying, how do you recall rape details, but not this email? And she says, well, I can recall a rape. I don't recall every email I ever wrote. Something to keep in mind here as we watch the proceedings. Again, this is a civil case, not a criminal case, which means the standard here for the nine-person jury is not beyond a reasonable doubt, but preponderance of the evidence. Basically, is there a 50.1% chance that Trump may have done this? And it's a much lower threshold, which makes it easier here for Carol. But there are certainly opportunities here that Trump's team is taking here to try to poke holes in this, hoping that uh, they're not able to meet that standard, that Carol is not able to meet it. From the Washington Post, former Vice President Mike Pence appeared Thursday before the federal grand jury convened as part of the special counsel investigation into former President Trump's efforts to overturn his 2020 election loss. The testimony is a significant development in the special counsel's probe as Pence could provide critical insights into Trump's thinking in the days leading up to the attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. The former vice president published a memoir and a Wall Street Journal opinion article detailing several of his interactions with Trump. But some details were left pretty vague. Special counsel Jack Smith's team is particularly interested in Trump's efforts to try to block the certification of the election. So one of the reasons why this is notable beyond what Pence might say here is that he fought it. And so did the Trump team. But a federal judge ordered Pence to comply with the subpoena here and testify uh, and give insight to what Trump was up to in the weeks leading up to January 6th and on that day. In his bid not to testify, Pence's team basically tried to argue that he was a legislative official on the day of January 6th because he was overseeing the counting of the electoral votes. 
a judge overruled that, noting that despite being the president of the Senate that day, uh, that he still could provide insight into alleged illegal behavior by Trump. This was behind closed doors, so we don't know what was said yet as we record this on Thursday evening. And a reminder, this is one of two special counsel investigations into Trump. The other one that we've talked about intermittently on this podcast is the classified records special counsel investigation, both under the same special counsel, Jack Smith, but he has two investigations going right now. All right, let's head overseas from Reuters. Iran sees an oil tanker in the Gulf of Oman in international waters on Thursday, according to the U.S. Navy. It is the latest in a series of seizures or attacks on commercial vessels in sensitive Gulf waters since 2019. The Navy's Mideast-based Fifth Fleet identified the vessel as the Advantage Suite. It had just come from Kuwait and listed its destination as Houston, Texas. Iran's army said that it seized that oil tanker, which had a Marshall Islands flag on it, in the Gulf of Oman after it collided with an Iranian boat, injuring several crewmen. Uh, that is according to Iranian state media. Yeah, it's always difficult reporting on these uh, oil tankers, Jill, because there's the name of the ship, the company that owns the ship, who charters the ship, the flag that flies above the ship, and they're usually all different. In this case, this is a ship chartered by Chevron that was going from Kuwait to Houston. Either way, the Iranians took it, and allegedly it had 750,000 barrels of crude in it. This is now the fifth commercial vessel taken by Tehran in just the last two years. So far, the Iranians have released two of those tankers. That happened a couple months ago. And it does come as the Iranians claim there was a collision, and that's the reason why they took this ship. But this has been an escalation for a couple years now. This uh, is in the aftermath of Trump pulling out of the Iran nuclear deal. So as revenge, Iran has been seizing more of these oil tankers. And it's not just restricted to this. You have seen Iranian-backed militias carry out attacks on U.S. forces in Syria. That killed one U.S. contractor. Iranian forces have also been coordinating attacks against Israel. You've also seen Iranian attacks in Iraq uh, on U.S. allies there and bases there. In response, the U.S. military has accelerated delivery of warplanes to the region and it moved a nuclear submarine into the Red Sea. So you continue to see developments in the region, which is not atypical of the Middle East here, but we're keeping tabs just given the headline we saw on Thursday. From The Hollywood Reporter, Jerry Springer, the former Cincinnati mayor who became America's most controversial talk show host, has died at the age of 79 from pancreatic cancer. NBC Universal, which produced and distributed the Jerry Springer show, said in a statement, Jerry Springer was much more than a talk show host who redefined television. He was a savvy politician, pop cultural icon, and a devout and loyal friend who was most proud when he spoke up for the marginalized and unrepresented. Strangers would open up to him and he loved nothing more than to give them a voice. The Jerry Springer Show debuted in 1991. It was taking aim at the Phil Donahue Show. In 1994, after struggling in the ratings, Springer and his producer took a leap in the dark. They decided to remake the show, turning away from such liberal themes like guns and homelessness and towards something altogether more tabloid. Almost overnight, Springer's program surged. And by 1998, it was even beating the Oprah Winfrey show. The host's entrance was changed. He was now sliding down a stripper pole. And the theme of each show kind of played to the lowest common denominator with things like stripper wars and I want my man to stop watching porn. It was on for 27 seasons, eventually ending in 2018. Most love him or hate him for many people of our generation. This was must-see TV. 
Jill, I can remember many days homesick from school where this was a that was must see TV. And I will say, having grown up in the Chicago suburbs, have fond memories a couple times of ditching afternoon classes, heading downtown, and being in the studio audience of the Jerry Springer show. I I seem to remember. <laughs> I think both times I was there, it was like a DNA reveal. Like, who's your daddy? Are you the real daddy? That's what I remember the most from from the Jerry Springer show. Those it felt like that was. A very common theme. Clearly rated well. I don't remember him coming down the stripper pole. But I don't again, either. <laughs> but if the Hollywood Reporter says it happened, Jill, I guess it happened. Uh, a bit of history on Jerry Springer. He was born in February of 1944 in a London subway station that was being used as a shelter during bombing raids during the Blitz. He was the son of a bank clerk and a shoe shop owner, two Jewish refugees who had fled Germany uh, at the height of Nazi Germany and fled the Holocaust. He once said, if you're a child of Holocaust survivors, it's hard not to be a liberal. 27 members of my family were wiped out. You learn that you never judge people on what they are, but what they do. Before he was a TV host, he had political ambitions. At one point, he was actually the mayor of Cincinnati. But that was derailed by a prostitution scandal. If memory serves me right, he wrote a check to a prostitute that was discovered. He survived that scandal. He kind of was, he was pretty open about it. And he became mayor of Cincinnati after the scandal. That the scandal had forced him to, to resign from city council. Things I learned researching this podcast. Oh, that's so interesting. I I, I thought I always had a command for Jerry Springer, but thank you for going into <laughs> 1970s Cincinnati history for us, Jill. There you go. He he has the prostitution scandal, but still becomes the mayor of Cincinnati. And his wife was the his wife was actually the one who was like, Don't let this derail your dreams. I'm not happy with you, but don't let it derail your dreams. That's quite a couple over there. Fast forward 2016, I got to meet him at the 2016 Democratic Convention in Philadelphia. We had him on a, as a guest uh, on uh, CBS, on the streaming uh, outlet there. And I guess he was just at the convention because, you know, he was into Democratic politics and he showed up. And one of the things we talked about, I remember, was just it was the, you know, Trump-Clinton race, how dirty politics had gotten. And he's like, you know, people mock me and the guests I had on my show. But, you know, you can mock them. They're regular people. Like, they're not leading the country. This is, right. this, is <laughs> this has gotten out of control. We should have a different standard for our politics. Fair point. As always, unfortunately, happens when somebody dies, you learn a lot about their lives. <laughs> and And he really did lead a fascinating one. And that is part of the reason that I love on this day in history that I love that segment. Because I feel like I'm learning about people who are still living or events that happened relatively recently and things that really affect us now. And sometimes the first draft of history or the first impression you get of somebody uh, doesn't give you the full picture, right? Uh, Mosh, we do want to also mention um, that it is Infertility Awareness Week. Um, It's something that so many people struggle with and still don't totally discuss openly. A few stats, Mosh, one in eight couples struggle with infertility about one in four or one in three pregnancies actually ends in miscarriage. Um, so if you do the math, that means many, many women have experienced a miscarriage. Um, candidly, I had a miscarriage before I got pregnant with my son. So anyway, we just wanted to give a little shout out to anyone out there who is struggling with this. Uh, you're not alone. Not at all. And we're thinking about all of you. Here's another stat to keep in mind if you're uh, dealing with infertility right now. 17 states right now are required to either cover or offer insurance coverage 
for an infertility diagnosis or treatment. Even if insurance coverage is available where you live, it's still important to contact your insurer and clarify what your out-of-pocket expenses can be. We're linking to a Today Show story about this in the show notes. All right, now time for your favorite segment, Jill, on this day in history, (laughs) on this April 28th. 53 years ago, we'll start in 1970, President Nixon gave formal authorization to commit U.S. combat troops in cooperation with South Vietnam into sanctuaries in Cambodia, basically expand the war to another country. He initially did this uh, secretly. Eventually, it was announced. It set off a wave of anti-war demonstrations, uh, including the infamous one at Kent State on May 4th of that year that resulted in the killing of four students by Army National Guard troops. The incursion angered many in Congress who felt Nixon was widening the war at that point. That actually resulted in a series of congressional resolutions uh, trying to limit the authority of the president at that point. All right, a bit of literary history here. Uh, On this day in 1926, author Harper Lee, who would go on to win acclaim for her novel To Kill a Mockingbird, was born. All right, now to some music history. 20 years ago today, Apple officially launched the iTunes Store, which gave users this novel ability to purchase and download music from the internet directly to their iTunes library. Jill, we were just coming off the Napster uh, era at that point. Kazaa, Napster, uh, LimeWire. What were you using? to illegally download your music before iTunes. Napster, that totally crashed my computer um, (laughs) the day that I was supposed to hand in my thesis at Columbia. So (laughs) word to the wise, do not download illegal music. It is not worth it. Jill, that would have been great advice 20 years ago. I don't think that's a thing anymore. (laughs) You're like, also... (laughs) All you kids out there, they're like, we don't even know what Napster is. Stop downloading. They're like, dude, I stream on Spotify. (laughs) Jill, what the hell are you talking about? But it was a pivotal moment for music because it used to be that you'd have to buy an entire album. You could never buy just a song. And so Apple or somebody there said, Hmm, a song was going to be, I think it was what, a dollar twenty nine. I think it was nine, it started at 99 cents. I think, I think, yeah, it started at 99 cents. It eventually went up to a little bit over a dollar. But they basically said, okay, this is what we're going to value a song at. Um, previously, you had to go and purchase, as I said, an entire album, and it cost a lot more. Uh, and it changed the way we listen to music, it changed the way artists make music. Uh, and now we just have streaming, which has changed the game even further. All right, staying with music here, 40 years ago today, Beat It by Michael Jackson reached number one on the Billboard charts. One of his uh, iconic hits, Jill, it also includes a guitar solo by Eddie Van Halen. I did not know that. Interesting. That, that like, Beat It, like, no, 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 that guitar solo in the middle. I, I was about to sing it, but I can't really sing a guitar solo. Uh, I think we, they made us perform it in my third grade camp. Uh, I think we, we the, at the time, my camp counselor was really into Michael Jackson, so we had to perform Beat It, among other songs. Might have been the summer of 92, Jill. <laughs> that, was it camp sanctioned or was this just like a project from your counselor? It's like, I know we could do it. It was a talent show. Uh, it was a talent show. And I think I think each group had to perform a song and we had to do like a medley of Michael Jackson at the time. Got it. All right. And we'll end here with one other piece of musical history that I discussed at the top. This week in 1967, Aretha Franklin released her song, Respect. or at least her version of the song. It turns out that Respect was originally written and recorded by Otis Redding two years previous in 1965. She flipped the song from a male perspective to a female's perspective. You know, it is an anthem, a woman's demand for respect. In Otis Redding's original version that he wrote of Respect, there was no spelling like R-E-S-P-E-C-T. That's Aretha. 
There were no backup singers. In the original version, it's Otis's song about a male-dominated relationship, basically show respect for your man. Franklin then takes respect and says, no, it's about respect for women. Which is obviously, um, <laughs> I think, the much more powerful meaning of the song, which is why Aretha's version took off. It's very interesting, though. Listen to the song again and imagine Otis Redding singing it, right? Uh, his version of it. But she, I mean, she made the song what it is, right? It's an anthem about respecting your woman. She added that. Sakatumi, Sakatumi. She had R-E-S-P-E-C-E-T. Like the icon, like she, you know, and it's, it's interesting because if you look at a number of famous songs through history, another famous example is I Will Always Love You, which was originally a Dolly Parton song. And then Whitney Houston, Whitney Houstonified it right? I will always love you. Like now you think about her, but the original version is Dolly Parton. So there's a lot of cool musical history here. And I think the respect uh, history is particularly poignant. All right, Mosh, cheers to the freaking weekend. It is Friday time for what we are watching, reading and eating. Kick it off. All right, watching. I keep hearing a number of you have been sending me messages on Instagram being like, Mosh, I want your take of The Diplomat on Netflix. So I am making that part of my weekend viewing. I will check that out and let you guys know how I feel about it. I'm also reading that Disney Plus has Peter Pan and Wendy, a live action version of the whole Peter Pan story that is out today on Disney Plus. And what's very cool about it, Jill, is they have cast a uh, actor with Down syndrome in a major role for the first time in a Disney film. All right, Jill, what are you watching? Mosh, I don't know if you're familiar with Paw Patrol. I've heard of it. I'm sure one day you will be. There is a new Paw Patrol All Paws on Deck special. It actually came out on Monday, April 24th. There is an encore on Friday that is already being DVR'd at my house, uh, and we all plan to watch it Friday night. Between uh, uh, your warning not to download illegal music and your use of the phrase DVR, Jill, I feel like I'm living in 2008 again. <laughs> I use DVR. I, I DVR stuff on on TV. Is that not what we call it anymore? I think the kids just say record now. Ah, okay. TVO and DVR is antiquated. <laughs> All right, Joe, what are you reading? Okay, I am back to my New York Times guest essays. There is one called Cliches to Avoid Like the Plague. <laughs> it's titled Tip of the Iceberg. And Mosh, this is a good reminder for us news people who write scripts for a living. We need to do better. We just need to write words that explain what we mean. Um, believe it or not, when I was talking about this, I was going to say, we need to up our game, which is one of the yep. cliches that they Another talk cliche. about, hence the point of the essay. So it's just this list of overused cliches in no particular order. It begins ramped up, amped up, ratchet up, gin up, up the ante, double down, jump start, behind the curve, swim against the tide, go south, go belly up, level the playing field, open the floodgates, think outside the box. I could go on. We use them all the time. I think we probably should, again, challenge ourselves to, to do better. Actually, I think looking at your initial list there, I think we do pretty well. One that I hate and like we just need to make sure never to use and, and definitely email us if we use it. I hate the term hot seat. Uh, whenever congressional <laughs> yeah. hearings happen, they're like, blah, blah, blah is on the hot seat. A grilling, a grilling on the hot seat. And it's like, okay. yeah, grilling. We use grilling. We got to stop doing that, too. Jill, I just completed a book and actually an interview with uh, the author uh, that'll be out next week for the premium listeners. It's Look For Me There by Luke Russer. You might recognize the name. He's the son of Tim Russer. He was an NBC correspondent for a number of years. I'm lucky to call him a friend as well. He left his job in 2016 and then traveled the world, six continents, 70 countries, to sort of find himself. Uh, and uh, it's a really interesting uh, journey. Just read that. And I think you guys will enjoy the interview next week. 
Ooh, I can't wait. I was a huge Tim Russert fan. Who isn't? Uh, and I and I definitely will listen to that podcast and read the book as well. Uh, Mosh, what are you eating? It's more like what I'm drinking right now, uh, gel boba tea. We're loving it. Ooh. I might have mentioned it on the podcast before, but I'm going to use it again this week. Uh, there's a place around the corner in uh, downtown Brooklyn called Debut Tea, and they have some really incredible boba. And so just loving it right now. How's the holla coming? <laughs> It was messy. It was stressful. But if the final product tastes good, that's all that matters. Right, Mosh? Jill, you were baking a loaf of bread. What was happening in your kitchen? Why Why is the loaf of bread so stressful? Well, I was doing it with my daughter. Okay, uh-huh. so that adds a, a whole Wait, level remind of us complex. how old is Alex? Four and a half. So we did it together. It was it was a project with her school. They send home the ingredients and everybody kind of does it over Zoom with one of the teachers leading the instruction. It actually was kind of comedic. She just kept going, Alex's mom, is everything okay over there? Alex's mom. (laughs) And I'm lifting up very sticky dough. And apparently I I think I probably needed more um, flour. But we'll see if it if it tastes good. I haven't tried it yet. Um, that is what I will be eating. And look, this is how you learn. Jill, uh, I look forward to the video. We're still waiting for your behind the scenes on the uh, <laughs> Mo News team Instagram account. So I'm looking forward to some challah bread content this weekend. You got it. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Mo News podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the app store so we can continue to grow. A reminder to join Mo News Premium over at mo.news slash premium. $7 a month, uh, $70 a year, two free months if you do the annual package. And since you're a listener of the Mo News podcast, a reminder, there's a special code just going for a couple more days now. Mo News Pod, Mo News P-O-D for an extra month free. A reminder, we also have a voicemail. We got a couple today, Jill. We got to answer them on an upcoming show. 1-800-711-MOSH. Ask your question. I don't know, provide a comment. But mainly your questions on the news. We, we're looking to add uh, more of them into an upcoming podcast, including special podcasts we're going to do just for premium listeners. And don't forget to follow us over on Instagram at MOSH at M-O-S-H-E-H. I'll see you on Monday, Jill. All right. Bye, everybody. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.